Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week we have a slightly special episode as this was recorded live as a live stream as part of the Fora Restore 20 Wellness Week. You may have heard me talking about it on previous episodes. Well, you know, things changed. We were hoping we would have a live audience, but as restrictions changed here in the UK, we adapted and we did it as a live stream, but it was so good to get to sit down with today's guest in person, which felt really lovely. Uh, so we got to chat to, well, I got to chat to Porna Bell, who you may know as an author, journalist, and the founder of the See My Strong community. Porna is also an amateur powerlifter, which she passionately talks about, and we'll certainly get into that today. And you'll see by the title of this episode that we are talking about how um, Porna has coped with returning to exercise after experienced illness and how she has been, you know, navigating that return and how tough it is and the tools and tips she has for how she's been able to cope, which I hope will be helpful for those of you who have been going through a similar thing. Now, before we get into the episode, you know, I had been asking you to send in your train happy moments and I was looking for a train happy trooper of the week. Well, we have the very first one. Cue the music. So this week's train happy super trooper moment comes from Philippa and she says, Hi Tally, I thought I would share this moment as it is a feeling I haven't had in over a decade. I have suffered from disordered eating since I was 15 and had tried so many times to retrain my thoughts. I was furloughed once lockdown began and I chose to take this time to focus on recovery. Finally, after diving headfirst into research and learning about intuitive eating, I can finally say I had a train happy moment. It is my best friend's birthday on Saturday and we're going out for dinner. Not once this week have I thought about restricting, over-exercising or in any way compensating for the food and drinks I will consume. I'm just so excited that I get to focus on her and laughing with my friend as opposed to the food on my plate and number of steps I've taken that day. Thank you so much for all you do, Tally. You continuously inspire me and remind me that not only does health look different on everybody, but to always love myself. And I should say thank you, Philippa, for sending that in and encouraging others listening by sharing your story. It's so appreciated. Um, and if you want to be a train happy trooper of the week and you have a very special train happy moment you want to send in, remember you can email us trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to remain anonymous, that is absolutely fine. And yeah, keep sending them in and I'm going to work my way through all of them. Um, and we'll be sharing one every episode. Okay, let's hear from this week's guest, Porna Bell. Hello and welcome to the Train Happy Podcast Live. My name is Tally Rye and I'm here as part of the Fora Restore 20 uh, five-day festival celebrating mind, body and spirit. Um, I think this is the conclusion of the week. I believe it's been a super successful week um, and I'm really excited to be doing my first ever live episode of the Train Happy podcast with Fora, who are a tailored workspace um, designed for people to have flexible working spaces um, in London. So today I am joined by a guest who I have wanted to talk to for so long and we're finally seeing each other in person after um, months apart. Actually, I think I think I probably saw Porna maybe a few weeks before we went into lockdown. So it's a really great reunion. I can't wait for you to um, listen to what Porna has to say. So with that being said, today I am joined by 
author um, and journalist Porna Bell, who okay. is fabulous. She is mm. also the founder of the See My Strong community, which we'll be, we will be talking about in more depth. depth. So Porna, I would firstly want to ask how you are during this time, because like I said, I did mention we saw each other um, maybe yeah, a few weeks, maybe in, in kind of late February, early March, and the first time we're seeing each other again. How have you been? Oh, it feels like a lifetime, because um, I'm just trying to remember where it was and what we were doing, but... We were doing yeah. a rather bougie thing of getting to go to a cinema screening. Oh, my God. Which is yeah. definitely not an average day mm. in my life. Yeah. In fact, I've never, I think, I think it's my second time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was a really kind of yeah. fun morning, a Monday morning, I think. It was, um, I remember it was a private cinema and it now seems inconceivable that that's something that we would do. That we would all get yeah. together in one room together yeah. in that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of people, there have been some highs and lows since then. Um, but at the moment, yeah, not doing too badly, I think. Quite sad that summer is over. Yes. But, yeah, but it's okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think, um, obviously, as we're doing this, it's like getting towards the end of September mm -hmm. and... Um, yeah, it kind of feels like we're going into a new phase. Um, so yeah, Porna, would you love to tell people a little bit more about yourself and your work that you do? Sure, so um, I am an author and a journalist um, and I uh, am also an amateur powerlifter and um, I've worked in journalism for about, oh my God, I counted the years today. It was 17 years, wow. which is a long time. Um, I do a lot around um, gender equality, race equality, um, health and fitness as well. Um, and I'm coming out with my third book, which is because um, my first two books were very much about kind of um, memoir and about mental health. And the third book is connected, but a departure from that. So it's about physical and mental strength for women mm -hmm. and how they feel strong and how they tap into that in a way that's right for them, and that's going to be out next March. So actually, mo most of my lockdown, to be fair, has been just working away on that book, and I've just finished it. Which is so exciting. <laughs> I feel like we can celebrate. Yeah. Like, someone pass me some bubbles. I won't pass them to you because of, yeah. you know, germs. Um, we'll be very safe yeah. and social distance today. Um, that's very exciting. And I, I do want to talk more about... Um, the book a, li um, a little bit later on. Um, I also wanted to ask, because I know that you, I think I'm right in saying you had COVID early on. Mm. And that's had a, from what I see, kind of sharing bits and bobs on social media and online, you've kind of had a bit of a rocky road and that has had an impact yeah. on um, your fitness and your health overall. So yeah. are you better now? Um, yes and no. So I, I had COVID in March and it was, I mean, I call it mild COVID, but it, it took a really long time to get over. And I don't think that I'm still fully really? recovered, to mm. be honest. Um, so I kind of lost my sense of taste and smell for about two weeks and basically had what seemed like just a virus because it kind of lasted two weeks. And there were these um, sort of periods of feeling okay and then not feeling okay. But to be honest, like, it took about three months before I was really able to do much and go for walks and all of this mm. stuff. So, cause, so because I didn't know it was COVID at the beginning, I would do this sort of, um, they call it kind of boom and bust. So the minute I would like feel remotely better, I'd just go nuts and like, you know, go for a walk and like try and do a hit workout. And then the next day I'd just feel like absolute death and then just couldn't do anything for like a week or two. Wow. Um, and then when I took an antibodies test and figured out that, yep, that is what I'd had, um, I just took my recovery very seriously because there was no information about like what we now call long tail COVID or long COVID. Um, and I just kind of had to work out a plan where I was just monitoring my progress, um, taking things very slowly, managed to kind of actually start lifting weights again in July, very, very slowly with a barbell and then built up. Um, and then about three weeks ago, I think I was like, thought I was well over it and just was having one of those weeks where I was sort of running around, I was squatting again, like, you know, it was great. Mm. And then like literally like a light switch overnight just felt like someone had like sucked all of my energy dry. So I haven't been able to lift weights for about three weeks. 
and I realise there are bigger problems in the world than that, but it really sucks. And what I'm now having to do is to really lean very, very heavily on a lot of the mental work and the psychology mm -hmm. around just my strength, what my goals are, um, and what recovery actually really looks like for me. Because I think so many of us always think that fitness is going to be on a progressive trajectory. Yep. We're going to constantly, you know, year on year, month on month, year on year, be working towards our goals, achieving them. And we kind of take that for granted and don't think about these events outside ourselves that may um, limit us from making that progress. And whether that be a pandemic or whether that is um, an unexpected injury or an illness, because, you know, I, I hear from a lot of people who have had some sort of experience of um, whether it's breaking bones or um, shoulders injuries or anything like that, where they, they kind of get out of action for a bit and it can really mentally mm -hmm. take its toll. Um, so I suppose it's worth discussing before we kind of get into how it's impacted you now and the process of that maybe what your relationship with fitness was like prior and how you because um, you were training to be um for powerlifting competitions right yeah yeah i was so um so i would say this is about you know we're talking eight years ago um my only real i guess experience with let's say not being well was when i this is like back in the day when I used to go to the gym, would never enter the weight section, would kind of potter about on the cross trainer, do a bit of treadmill, like lift some kind of like arm weights. And then literally that would be it. And I just, you know, I kind of, quite honestly, my relationship with the gym was like, there must've been a part of me that maybe liked it, but it mainly was for like weight maintenance and, yeah. you know, to kind of feel quote marks healthy, right? And I felt really out of breath and had to go to hospital to get checked out. And basically they told me that I'd had a hole in the heart and that I'd had it since birth. And when we were really surprised about all of this stuff, um, you know, because my mum had a hole in the heart, but like she had a major one and had to have open heart surgery and all of this. And they just said, but how on earth did we not know this until that point? There are just different ways of, of how it can affect you. And... I was lucky enough that up until that point, my body had been healthy enough to get me to a certain point until it was just like, no, you know, you kind of need intervention. When I started to feel those symptoms, like till for the three months that I until I had that surgery, I literally couldn't do anything. So I couldn't really do anything that was more than a very slow walk or a very mm. slow swim. And that really forced me to reconfigure my relationship with my body, what I could do, how hard I was pushing it and so on, because it literally couldn't do more than it was capable of physically doing at that point in time. But when I had the surgery, which lucky for me was keyhole surgery, and I recovered, um, yes, that three weeks where I couldn't really do anything sucked. But after that, it was like someone had like switched on an extra engine that I didn't know was there and I could just do so much more. So things like running, which before that I used to find like quite unpleasant was like a, I mean, running to me is still yeah. fairly unpleasant, <laughs> but it was, it was different. Yeah. And so I had a different relationship with my body, you know, from that, but it was still very much like with that weight loss goal in mind, right. Or weight maintenance. And about five, you know, five or six years ago, um, I decided to kind of start taking up um, strength training and like to actually like learn how to lift weights because I wanted to be physically more capable. Like literally that was it. It was like, I want to be able to carry my luggage when I am going to the airport and not have to have a guy to help me with it. And I started kind of dabbling around in strength training, um, which just completely changed my entire relationship with exercise. But I was still very conscious of putting on muscle, yeah. of not wanting to be bigger. And then about two years ago, I want to say, two years ago, I met uh, my current trainer, who is a professional powerlifter. His name is Jack. And um, we again started, I just kind of gave him this usual thing of I want to be strong, but I don't want to be big. And one thing kind of led to another. And there was a sort of like um, powerlifting competition just happening at the gym that I could try out. And he kind of like encouraged me to start training for it. 
And that's when my entire training changed from weight loss to performance-based goals. But having said that, and, and it's been amazing, and that's completely changed my relationship with fitness and strength. But when I fell ill again with COVID, um, it's like, oh God, I had all of these performance goals. Like I thought I was going to be taking part in a competition in the summer, literally the day before I fell sick with COVID. So I must have had COVID at this time. I was like the strongest I ever was. Like I squatted 110 kg, which for me was like a huge deal. That's legitimately Thanks. impressive. Thank you. But like for me, I was like, when I did that, I was like, this is, the, this is it. This is the strongest I've ever been. Like, and this is a great feeling. And then the next day I was like, ah, like couldn't yeah. really move. And, you know, and that, that, was, that was the last time I was ever able to lift something that heavy. Not having those performance goals, not having access to that strength, I'm not going to lie, has been unbelievably tough. But like people fall, but it, it's, it's very humbling and it's a reminder that people fall sick all the time. And mm. if it wasn't COVID, it very well could have been something else. Mm. So actually, I'm still doing the mental work around it. Mm. But what it's kind of teaching me about strength and what that perception is and how you know sometimes you might fall ill so the amount of weight that you can lift sometimes you just have to be okay with the fact that you can't physically do it um but i'm still working my way through it <laughs> do you think you had a lot of value and um in terms of do you think you gave yourself a lot of kind of self-worth and and valued the fact that you are porner the strong woman who could lift heavy stuff and um, which is, like I said, extremely impressive. Mm. Um, has that, that part of your identity almost, do you feel like it's been slightly taken away? Yes. So absolutely. It's exactly like that. And I realised it when I was walking in the park. This was at some point during like lockdown, lockdown, when things were quite strict. And I was walking through the park and there was a group of guys, right? And, um, and I realized that there was a part of me that felt slightly intimidated and I had not felt like that for a very long time. And I could feel myself kind of getting smaller and smaller. And that is not how I walked down the street before. So before I was ill, right? Like, so, cause I literally know that I could walk, not that I would do this, <laughs> But there is something about having actual physical strength where I know that I could literally like pick a guy up and throw him over my shoulder. That kind of actually makes you feel okay walking yeah. through a park or down a street. And whether or not I could competently do that, I'm not saying it makes you feel invincible, but there is something about having access to that strength that for sure like makes you walk in a different way, makes you carry yourself in a different way. And when I walk past these guys and I realize that it's like in a superhero film, you know, like when they've kind of like lost their power and they don't really know what to do. That's exactly what it felt like. And I just thought, this feels really bad. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to feel vulnerable. I don't want to kind of go back to that, that point where, you know, you kind of like shrink against a wall because you're making space for people. And, um, and it didn't feel good at all. Um, and then I, but I, I just realized that there is definitely a part of how I feel about myself and my strength that is anchored to actual physical strength. Maybe when I don't have access to that, I've just got to behave like I have access to that strength, even though I don't really have it. Well, this also brings me to ask then, what does fitness give to you or how does it positively impact you? Um, what is it that you keep going back um, to the gym for that drives you for training? Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, but it sounds like it can be empowering. Um, and I just wondered mm. if you maybe could share that. Yeah, I mean, there is something hugely empowering about realizing that you are strong and that you are stronger than you possibly think you are mm. and also what other people think you are as well um they're like for sure but the question is well then when that's taken away from you what are you left with and how do you reconfigure that and 
some of the mental work that I've had to kind of do around that is that um, you kind I, I have to practice what I preach, which is that movement is something that should be joyous mm. and it should be fulfilling. So maybe at the moment it's not going to be squatting. Maybe it's not going to be deadlifting. Maybe it can just be something different. But the thing that I think that powerlifting has given to me or the, the journey of getting stronger has given to me, which doesn't really go away just because I can't yeah. lift that weight, is actually the fact that things change, your body changes, and sometimes it changes in a way that you don't like, and sometimes you're not physically able to do stuff, but it changes. Like, that's not a permanent state that you're going to be in forever. So... Um, in terms of like how it has made me feel in terms of comfortability around my body, mm. um, it, absolutely, like it has given me a sense of um, safety, a sense of belonging, a sense of trust in my body that I never had when I was, you know, running like three to four times a week or going to the gym because I felt I should because, you know, to offset whatever I'd eaten or whatnot because it's about ability, but it's also about making your body your home, right? Mm. And so what I kind of need to do is, you know, my body has done a lot. Like, so when my mind said, this is what we want to do, this is the weight that we want to lift, my body was like, okay, cool. Like, let's see what we can do. So at the moment, it can't do a lot of stuff that I want it to do. But maybe this is kind of like just a moment to just give back to it a little bit and to just go, okay, this is what you need. Like you need a bit of rest, you need a bit of recovery. Then that is what you kind of like pay back. It's like a, re it's a relationship, right? So sometimes like one of you works a bit, one part Less of you works a bit worse, harder. Maybe. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I see it, which is it's frustrating, but every single time I go into the gym or if I'm working out at home, it's with an intention. So the intention is always, what can I achieve today? What can I get done today? And I set that, I make that goal like super small. Like it's not like, oh, what do I want to achieve by the end of the week? It's like, what, what, what could I get done by the end of the session today that will make me feel really good? And if I exceed that, then great. And that will be brilliant. And then that means maybe the next time I can work out a bit harder and a bit longer. But, um, but it's about move, movement being joyous and it should always be about that. And so I feel like once you've kind of created that for yourself, it's always something you can kind of come back to, I think. Yeah, and I think when you're coming at it with that intention and without the pressure of like, you know, with the idea like my body's not allowed to change and actually not being in control of these things that I'm now um, physically unable to do, um, I wonder if that, transition in your mindset towards exercise has probably really helped you navigate this time as difficult as it's been you kind of can go like I can take the pressure off myself and I don't this doesn't need to be perfection it just can be something and yeah there's that um that element of we have different seasons of life and we have different times when um, and I, I kind of like to encourage people to like think about fitness really long term anyway. And, and I think you clearly do that even if that short term competition is not there in the summer, you know, you're like, well, I wasn't in it just for that competition in the summer. This is something I've committed to for, you know, the next few years, uh, maybe another decade or so. So like, it's OK, we can get back there and or like we can there will be a route to get to where I want to go and to not because I think we get so short-sighted mm. with fitness and I think we get we want immediate results and we want I'm sure like getting better you're like right it's been six weeks now I should be exactly where I was before um but the reality is um our bodies are really smart and if they're telling us we need to slow down then we yeah. gotta slow down to build it back up but um it goes against the immediacy that we have culturally, I think. Um, and particularly in fitness, I think there's a lot of promises of like six weeks to do this, 12 weeks to do that, 30 days to do this. Um, mm. And you're playing the long game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one thing that made me really sad was 
seeing my muscle go, like mm. so seeing because for women, it takes so it takes so much to build muscle. Like it and and I'd worked really hard for that, mm. and so seeing that kind of go. It, it did make me really, really sad. But then at the same time, I was like, hey, you're really sad to see your muscle go. Like that is a huge mindset yeah. shift, right? Yeah. From like, a, I don't know, like two, three years ago when I was paranoid about having like extra muscle on me. And so actually I just, when I kind of was able to reframe it like that, by the way, I need to credit Jack, my trainer with this, because he helped me along with this realization. Um, it wasn't something I just kind of got by myself. But I was like, oh, you know, fine, I lost something, but actually that's personal growth because the next time I am able to and I can then build muscle, I won't be doing this usual nonsense that I was doing before where I was really, really kind of sabotaging myself because I wanted to get stronger, but at the same time felt really held back by it feeling really counterintuitive to want to get bigger, mm. you know? Um, but I think like one of the things, cause when um, I post and stuff on Instagram and I will sometimes get messages from women going, oh, but you know, I wouldn't be able to lift that amount, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, like we all start with a barbell, like no one, no one goes straight into that. And actually, so what I've been doing during COVID is posting a lot of just like me trying to build myself back up again. Mm. Because I think it's really important to remind people that you don't just, you just don't go into like massive lifts no. from nothing. And it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of effort. And there is absolutely no shame in starting with like literally the smallest amount of weight. Like everyone starts there. Mm. So actually in a way, like having to kind of like revisit that place and having to just start from scratch again makes me respect it more again because I'm kind of rediscovering what it was like at the very beginning and just being really grateful for the fact that my body's trying to get strong again and is able to get strong again. And can I ask how that's impacted your intuitive relationship with fitness in terms mm. of how have you perhaps cultivated more trust with yourself and what have you noticed in terms of how you're able to understand your body's cues during this kind of recovery? Um, I mean, I've learned it the hard way because when I've tried to push it beyond a certain point, it, especially with um, this type of post-viral fatigue, um, your body lets you know, like as in yeah. it's, it's not very, it's actually while you're doing the exercise, it, there are cues that it will let you know. And I have ignored them like to my detriment several times. Um, what I then realized, cause I think when I started to feel marginally better, I asked my trainer for a program and I was like, right, I need to get back on track. I need to do this, this, and this, and this. And, um, and he gave me a program but I couldn't really do it. And so what I then realized was actually, um, and I read your book, this, um, <laughs> which was I, my movement needed to be intuitive. So I've got um, guidelines that he's given me that I can work into on days when I feel like I've got more energy, but I have to check in with my body every single morning and see how it's doing, what it feels like doing. Um, so working, for example, to the point of absolute fatigue is not an option. Um, pushing myself to go for a walk because I feel guilty and I need to move, not also not an option. Um, so it has made me listen to my body's cues a lot more. There is a slight, I'm not going to lie, I know this is not the correct thing to say, there is a slight sadness that I cannot push my body to its yeah. absolute limits to just see what it's capable of. But on the other hand, I think that being able to move intuitively, which is something that you... Um, you know, you talk about so much has been so helpful because it really removes that shame and that mm. guilt around movement, which is ingrained in like literally every single person I know around what you should be doing and thinking that you know better than your body when your body knows best. I think that's it exactly. The shame and the guilt, like rather than um, berating yourself for saying you should be doing this because as a consequence, if you don't go for that walk, mm -hmm. your body's gonna change. And actually giving yourself a lot of compassion and saying, look, um, we're on the same team here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
in this sh relative short term, the rest is the, the right option. And I also thought it was interesting what you were saying about how you have your program and then you dip in and out of it because I think that's a common intuitive exercise question is like, so you just literally just make up what you're doing every single day. And I think for some people that certainly is the case at, at points. But I also think it's really interesting and important to acknowledge that there's absolutely a place for structure and routine and programming. Um, it's just a case of your mindset around that. And if you allow yourself a flexibility, um, and were you, were you flexible with your plan prior to um, this year or has this been a kind of a new lesson? Um, I mean, see, I'm programmed really well. Mm. So my trainer has never given me a program where I've felt like I'm overtraining mm. uh, and I'm not having enough recovery or, um, you know, like I'm being pushed too hard. So if I've ever felt like I'm overtraining, it's because I've decided to go rogue. Yeah. And I've, added, <laughs> I've added like stuff on that I really shouldn't be adding on. Um, so I've never really felt that working with this, with the program um, that I had in the past, um, that that was really an issue. Um, what I would say is that, so for example, like let's say training at the moment is, I may not necessarily know what I'm going to be doing like week to week, mm. but before, when, if I decide I'm going to do a session, um, I will absolutely have an idea of what I'm doing. Like, I can't believe actually that I used to go to the gym and not have an idea of what I'm mm. doing because for me, it just doesn't work motivation wise. And I'm not, I'm also not the type of person who will sit there and beat myself up because I didn't finish the program either. Like, it's like you work within the, like, certain, to a certain degree within the limits of your own body. And I don't, I, I am not a, a fan of, but see, I don't, I've never been the type of person to do, like, boot camp style stuff mm. anyway. And also, I really don't like being shouted at. Yeah. So, so, um, so I don't mind pushing my body if it's, like, let's say a heavy weight, but I'm not going to push my body to the point where, like, literally I can't walk home and get the bus, you know? I think mm. that also sounds like you've really found the right type of exercise for you. And you've also clearly found a trainer. And, like, obviously knowing you, and I hear you always speak so fondly of um, Jack. So when you mentioned, like, <laughs> trainer Jack, yeah. um, I feel like he's become his own character now. Hasn't <laughs> um, I think that's really important to have that... Mm that that's your thing that's what you want to do and um actually finding that sense and you know I've been to your gym um not to train but um we did an event together and I just got even from that that you could tell there was a real sense of community there as well mm -hmm. and I think that combination um when you can find that I think that's really cool and to some degree I think what with powerlifting, I think a lot of um, women in particular will feel like maybe that's not the obvious choice or feel like it's not for them. And yeah, maybe you have some words of encouragement. Maybe you can encourage people to try something a bit different. Yeah, I mean, I see, I before I knew what powerlifting was, I found it very um, intimidating and, yeah. and it, it sounds intimidating. And also when you start to lift weights in that way, you will literally have like every armchair expert tell you about the injury that they once got because their dad's friends, neighbors, dog showed them how to do a deadlift and then did it the wrong way and whatnot. And so to kind of level set, you know, um, this is number one, this is training with people that know their stuff. So like your form, uh, what you can manage on the bar is super important and it's not about ego. So this isn't like bro lifting where, mm. you know, which is personally where I think a lot of injuries happen. Like you're doing it in a safe controlled environment. The community that Jack has created. So our team is called Barfight and this is completely accidental, but I think it speaks to the type of training that we do is that it is three quarters women, like, mm. and it's a quarter men. And um, and this is these are women from like all different backgrounds. You know, none of us really had lifted that much before. Well, some of us had, but majority of us hadn't. And so what 
we kind of need to ask is, well, what was it about this that appealed to so many different women of different ages, like from 17 to 61, which is like the spectrum of our wow. team, um, you know, uh, that appeals. And it's, and it's about, for sure, the sense of community. So, um, and, and of course, it's about getting stronger and, um, you know, feeling more capable and all of that kind of stuff. But community is a massive part of it because when I used to go to the gym, I didn't have a community. I didn't connect with people. And in this time when I'm not particularly feeling massively strong and I felt like, oh, my God, like, you know, but should I... Um, do I even, like, what's my place in this team now? Because I can't really lift weights. And, and I, I, I got it so wrong because they have been amazing. Like, they have been checking in with me. They have been congratulating me. Like, literally, when I'm just able to do the bar or resistance bands. And I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that a team is... This actually makes me feel really emotional, that, like, they lift you up. Actually, when you're at your lowest point, not just when you've kind of, like, hit a personal best. And... I feel like if every woman knew what that felt like and knew what it was like to be part of a community that literally has nothing but your best interests at heart, it completely changes everything that you, that you relate to, that you configure with fitness. And, of course, it then turns into something so much bigger than mm. I'm going to go to the gym to punish myself, I'm going to go to the gym to, like, lose weight. It doesn't mean that, like, some of those things can't be part of your goals, but it makes it this thing that is just so much bigger than like one, you know, tiny aspect of it that's like connected to diet culture. And I suppose that I talk about that like internal motivation of doing something, you know, purely for you. And I imagine that's like catching up with your friends and having those um, being part of that team. And I think, yeah, it sounds really special that like the um, culture you have at your gym yeah. and the kind of the group. Um, of people that you've kind of brought together. Speaking of groups of people, I wanted to talk about the See My Strong community because this is something you've kind of founded online. I think mm. it's over a year old now. It's is that right. Yeah, so I founded it last May, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's flown by. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's um, and thank you because you've been such an amazing champion of it. But because I yeah. think it's so necessary and needed and. It's the kind of stuff, personally, mm. I would like to see online. So, yeah. OK, so See My Strong um, is basically a community for, um, for women and non-binary people um, to showcase or represent what makes them feel strong. So it doesn't have to be lifting weights. It could be literally, like, climbing, swimming, cycling, running, whatever it is. Like, we've got a lot of dancing as well on there. And, um, and the idea is to chronicle, like, let's say, the personal journeys of people, because we all have a story, you know, when it comes to our relationship with our bodies and with fitness and capability. Um, and so it's, a sh it's to kind of chart how people have got there, but also how physical activity actually makes them feel. So one of the things I'm very, very fond of saying is that strong is a feeling, not an aesthetic. Yeah. You know, first and foremost, it can be an aesthetic, but it's a feeling. And it's whatever makes you feel joy, capable, empowered, like you've achieved something and whatnot. Having said that, you know, the thing, the reason why I started it last year was because mainstream fitness drive, was driving me crazy. Like, yeah. it was kind of getting to the point where, you know, I felt very disengaged from it because... Um, there's just not the, the, the range of representation, you know, whether you're looking at, um, like, uh, colour, whether you're looking at body size and so on, or um, influencers who do really well on there. And I just thought, but this isn't, you know, this isn't what fitness is to me. And, and because I'd really started to connect with my um, powerlifting community and I'd done my second competition by then, I knew... So when you go to a powerlifting competition, this is why it's actually such a great learning curve for women is you go there and literally there will be women of every shape and size at this competition. And it is such a valuable lesson in how your aesthetic tells you nothing really mm. about how strong you are. Because these women who you would probably see walking down the street have like no idea how strong they are, will get up on that platform in like a one piece singlet, be the most confident that they possibly can and then will lift a weight that your brain can't even like wrap itself around, right? And I was like, I know that the, these communities are out there. I know that there are 
aspects and representations of strength, whatever that looks like in community, which are not represented in like women's magazines mm. and you know and that conversation around main, mainstream fitness so i was just like ah i'm gonna have to try and just do it myself yeah. and if people like it then you know there's no there's no pressure around it if people like it and they want to share their stories then brilliant and it was this kind of it was this community that just sort of mushroomed you know over the last year and it's kind of it's grown slowly and you know I don't monetize it, so I'm not kind of like beholden to, to anyone else's agenda. It is very much what I want to put on there. But what makes me, oh my God, second emotional moment <laughs> of the podcast, um, is that, you know, when someone posts their own story, because we all know how hard it is, right, for people to kind of like put their heart on their sleeve and probably tell some a story about themselves that they've probably never done in a way before. Mm. And it is super brave. And the reason why it's so important is because it encourages other women who are not necessarily professional athletes, you know, they're just like ordinary women to think that person does it. Maybe I could at least try it. Mm -hmm. Right. And every time someone like kind of posts on there, there are the most amazing comments from this community that will just cheer them on in like the in the most pure way possible. And so for me. It's just, it's a community that just gives a lot to me and I hope that it gives a lot to people who are part of it. Um, and I think it is something that's just going to keep growing. And I think mainstream fitness could really learn something from it in terms of just listening to what people actually want rather than constantly shoving this aspiration of what it thinks fitness is supposed to look like or, you know, feel like and so on, because it's just not, it's not that, you know. Well, I think um, this kind of reminds me of um, there'd been the slight controversy of the fitness brand Gymshark posting um, a, a, an image, a, a repost of a, a person wearing Gymshark clothing and um, the, the, the post had been to kind of show maybe a slightly different body type to the usual Gymshark athlete um, displayed on their social media. And what was fascinating is that person was still a straight-sized um, person and they had, you know, had shown kind of like their curves. Um, and yet that there had been such a narrow view of, of fitness and a narrow fitness aesthetic that this community... Um, for this brand had been built around that simply showing something for that some people would feel you know isn't a really a big deal and but it was really interesting that the the hardcore audience of the brand felt that it was um you know completely ridiculous completely out of the realms of what they viewed fitness to be and i thought that was a really interesting demonstration that within you know on social media, we can cultivate these feeds and bubbles where we do see diverse bodies, where we do see um, different people sharing their stories, showing the different ways they move their body. Yes. See My Strongest community is a fantastic example of that. But to see that the, the biggest fitness brand going right now um, is starting to cotton on that that's what people want. But the first sign of that, um, and, in, you know, they did respond with, you know, like... Um, defending the person in the post and you know saying you know sticking with their message that they wanted to show more content like that but I don't know about you but I found that very interesting that um you can be in a bit of a bubble and think that things are progressing but actually in the mainstream fitness space on the whole that a lot of these um the idea of showing diverse bodies in fitness is still radical to some yeah, I mean, I have lots of thoughts and feelings Talk on, about it. On, on, what, on that, but um, I will probably not have enough time to go... We've but, got time. OK. We've got time. So my issue with that is that I feel really odd about the fact that Gymshark has taken this new approach but haven't actually really addressed the fact that they've taken this new approach. So um, they are notorious in the industry, especially like obviously if you work in uh, diversity of any kind of featuring a very particular body type, a very particular race and also very young. Right. Mm. 
So I'm not surprised that that's what, because they, they've cultivated that, they've fostered it, they've made big bucks off having that as their audience and selling that to other people as an aspiration. What I really would have liked to have seen was some acknowledgement in the part that they have played in creating. I mean, yes, okay, they got back to all of those comments and stuff on that feed, whatever, but I would have wanted, in the same way, for example, um, Sweaty Betty did around... Um, uh, when they were talking about like reparations around, um, you know, how they've packaged up yoga and all of this stuff. I wanted to see that from Gymshark. I want some acknowledgement of the role that they have played. And they haven't done that. They basically just tried this. They're going down this new avenue and eventually people will kind of maybe forget that this is what Gymshark actually started off as and built its core audience around. Um, now, okay, is it great that such a huge brand is like trying to branch out? Yeah, of course it is. But but it does sit, it doesn't sit that well with me around that because I do I do want the acknowledgement and because I think one of my forgiveness languages is atonement and someone to fess up and say what they've been complicit in. And I think that they have been complicit in creating very, very narrow representations of what fitness look like. Um, to that end, you know, um, it's one brand and one aspect of fitness. And there is so much around this entire machinery which, where everyone is complicit and has a responsibility and a part to play. Whether we're looking at uh, establishments like, let's say, gyms, let's say the fitness industry, like the kind of posters that they put up in the gyms, the accessibility to different types of like personal trainers and those body types mm. and age like age is a huge one like who the hell said that young people have the monopoly on fitness they absolutely do not there is a huge from like the most vocal people on see my strong and the dms that i get and i include twitter on this as well are from women who are in their 50s mm. and who do not feel like fitness is representing them and they they want to know more. They want to be represented. And, you know, why the hell is that market not being catered to? Mm. Um, and part of, like, some of the research that I did around um, my book was basically looking at, you know, when we talk about, like, older women and fitness. So it's, like, this massive lump of a category of 50-plus, right? There is a very big distinction between, let's say, someone who is 50 and someone who is 65, so, like, if you kind of split that out and you look at, like, let's say athletes or people who are into fitness, like, who are 65 and older, there are some phenomenal people who are into fitness. But they don't get that recognition. They don't necessarily get that visibility. Some brands are doing a better job of it mm. now, I'll grant you. But it's still nowhere near enough, given that, I don't know, like, what the average lifespan of a person is, like, maybe, like, 80 and you consider that, like, the mainstream representation of fitness is, like, one decade? That's, yeah, like, in your nuts. 20s. Yeah, that's absolutely mm. nuts. I don't want to see it. Like, I'm, li I'm literally on the cusp of turning 40. No offence to people in their 20s, but I don't want to... That is not my representation of mm. fitness. That is not what I relate to. That metabolism, those days are, like, bye-bye for me. So, like, I can't relate to it at all. What I do want to see is broader representations of fitness. And I want to see what I can look forward to down the line in terms of what my body might be capable of. And in terms of that representation, one person who I think has been really great at showcasing that um, is uh, Anna Kessel with Telegraph mm, Women's Sport. She's amazing, yeah. So um, I don't know if in the UK we have the Telegraph paper and then it has the women's sport supplement. And Anna Kessel is... Um, a journalist and author as well and she kind of took that over maybe a year or so ago maybe even longer now time is flying by this year and every week I'm seeing a different person a different story being told of people at all ages doing a special edition you know on people who are over that supposed bracket um do you know what I did think that I was um just speaking on the topic of age do you know what someone made me realise the other day? You know when you used to watch X Factor? I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> you know when you used to watch X Factor and you had, like... Uh, was it, like, the under... Like, you'd have, like, 18 to 25. And you, then you had the 25 and overs. <laughs> and you all thought they were, like, past it because they were over 25. Yep. Um, that's kind of what happens in fitness. Like, you get the overs and then you're like, oh, yeah, they still want to do stuff... Um, and you kind of think, oh, well, they're past it now. And we get all this marketing towards this, this youth beauty 
fitness standard combined. And I think yeah. speaking on Gymshark are the absolute representation of that. Hopefully that's in the past, but we, we don't know. Um, that their whole thing has been built around, like if you wear our clothes, you will get this aesthetic, you will get this magical youth um and beauty all intertwined um and it's really interesting how you're right like there that um audience isn't tar um you know marketed towards and one of the regrets of my book is that we weren't able to um at the time i would know i would now know but at the time i didn't know who to ask i wanted to have someone yeah. older in my book i didn't know who to ask because the representation was so bad that I hadn't found someone through my usual networks um, and couldn't ask people to be involved. And similarly, my publishers, we just didn't know anyone. And isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that ridiculous that we, we can't find those, those people because they're not given that visibility and that space? And I think that's what's powerful about See My Strong is that ability to tell the story at kind of at any age, at any point. Um, I wonder what what's your plan for See My Strong? What's the the idea? Obviously, events are kind of off the cards. <laughs> um, but do you think should we? I want to invite everyone listening and watching to go follow at See My Strong on Instagram. And if you have a fitness story you want to tell, and you maybe just yeah ask for the specific stories because I know you have like a bit of a criteria um so I used to have a bit of a criteria now I just actually think it should be open to everyone I think as long as you are able to be honest about um your kind of thoughts and feelings around it mm. and it's just sort of telling a bit about your story and then you know how what your relationship is like how you like to move your body what you what you might do and and kind of but what I'm really what I'm looking for is that connection between physicality and mental as well. So mm -hmm. I want to kind of also know how it makes people feel. Um, in terms of like what my plans are for it, I mean, the thing is, is that I think that for now, I'm just going to keep it as this, um, you know, repository of inspiration for people as and when they need it. Uh, yes, it would be lovely to run um, events, but I just don't know if that's going to happen. But also, I guess for me, I'm kind of approaching a bit of a, um, not a crossroads with it, but it's just that to make it bigger, I would have to work with possibly a different brand or something like that. And I think at the moment, it just feels quite pure because yeah. I don't have to, you know, I, don't, I just don't have to run it past anyone else. And, and you know, and I monitor it's so closely, so it's so I keep it as a safe space for people. Um, you know, I I think most people who um, know my brand know that you know I'm very um, terrifying when it comes to booting off trolls and stuff like that. Anyway, so it's something that I just monitor quite closely. But for now, I just want it to be this like wonderful little space that people just feel that they can come to and once in a way may read a story that just kind of brightens up their day a little bit or just makes them feel a little bit braver or like they can try something else or that they're not alone in anything mm. and I think that sometimes with fitness like we feel very like alone and trapped in our own heads around what we perceive our limitations to be and how we might feel about our body and so on so it's really to just remind people that we're all on different journeys mm. we're all at different stages in our lives and actually um, being able to connect to it in a way that is right for you first and foremost that's that has to be what mm. it's got to be about mm. is is really just what I want from it at the moment I think that's um, like I said I love that you're keeping it pure <laughs> keeping it, yeah because I think it is such a like a warming like I said inspirational space and one of the accounts that like I don't think people would regret following in terms of looking for um looking for those stories mm. though those I, I kind of hate the word using like real stories because I think every story is a real story mm. but um I think looking for that kind of that vulnerability and that real honesty because I think it's really special um and we spoke about kind of this lack of diversity in fitness mm. and this lack of um, acknowledgement as well, I think. Um, and I think this summer with the discussion around Black Lives Matter, I know you kind of mentioned 
the work around yoga with Sweaty Betty. I know you were really vocal about that in terms of cultural appropriation in yoga um, and also kind of talking about how we as an industry could mm. need to look inwards and do better. So I would really be interested in what thoughts you had to share on that and um, and do you feel that the changes are being made or do you feel that we've still got a long way to go? Um, I think we still have a really long way to go is, mm. is the frank and brutal answer. And I think that, um, you know, especially with mainstream fitness, you know, it, 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 it's not a surprise to people who are switched on in terms of diversity that it was, um, it is, it is an industry that does black people a huge disservice, whether that is in, you know, representations of fitness wear, um, you keep using darker skinned black women, um, being aware of issues of colorism within that, um, whether that's actually having, you know, visible black fitness instructors, mm -hmm. you know, and studios asking themselves uh, questions about, you know, their own diversity and so on. Um, even getting people to, um, to understand that the Instagram algorithm is biased was a new thought for them. And so just sort of educating people around that and getting them to understand that um, accounts of um, black fitness instructors and influencers and so on is not something that the IG algorithm is going to readily surface to you. So people just being able to make a commitment and a promise to actively seek people out was really, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, on a slightly kind of like separate issue, which was definitely the stuff that kind of, so I guess against what you would say is a backdrop around Black Lives Matter, which prompted all of these kind of other conversations around identity um, and race, was, you know, the, the conversation about yoga I found was so interesting to note the reactions of people because, you know, there, there was a, a lot of criticism from the white community about uh, some of the, the stuff, especially on Instagram, being performative, right? And, and, and kind of, okay, you're saying you're going to do this stuff, you're posting all of this stuff, but how are you actually going to now back it up? Mm. And um, I don't want to confuse the, the, the importance of Black Lives Matter because that is a movement that deserves 100% of everyone's attention and mm. focus, and that is the most important movement to me at the moment. But let's say when you're talking about the secondary conversation of cultural appropriation and yoga, those very same people that were very passionate and very vocal about um, you know, racial equality, all of a sudden now you're talking about something that might be a little bit too close to home and they don't really want to address or they don't really want to look at their own practices because yoga is something they like doing. They don't want to feel guilty about it. They don't want to look at their own kind of, um, you know, the studios, let's say, that they get involved with and so on. And that for me was such an interesting observation just to watch how defensive people got around it. Because to be honest, the cultural appropriation around yoga, and just to be very, very clear so that people understand what I'm referring to, um, you know, um, the, the sort of the best definition of, of cultural appropriation around yoga is basically to what cultural appropriation is, is when you're looking at a, um, a community or a group of people that are privileged or um, are more advantaged, let's say, than another subordinate community, and where they have taken a practice and then basically systematically at every single level of that practice have erased the subordinate group from that. And that is what has happened with yoga. Because if I ask you to close your eyes and to tell me what you think a yoga teacher looks like, she's usually white, she's usually thin, and she's probably quite young as well. That is not where, that, that's not okay. Like it's not okay to um, have like, you know, um, studios that have like no South Asian teachers in it. It's not okay to have a practice that uses words like namaste, that kind of has these shortcuts around things that have been taken from their source of origin, that have like now no connection to where they were originally taken from, where people don't even know the movements that they're doing in yoga, the spirituality that it's connected to, why those movements actually take place. And th so that's what I mean when I say it's mm. been systematically scrubbed out, right? People 
the, and sorry, the last thing around that is also the history connection. We're not taught about our history. So people not knowing that yoga was something that was banned during the time of the British Raj. People, not, people going to studios like every day and not being aware of that connection. So to then ask people to present them with that information and for them to just go, no, you know what, that just doesn't really fit into my worldview right now because I really like yoga and I don't want to be, be made to feel guilty about it. That, for me, was a very interesting observation and, and summarised the entire problem that we have with how do you change the conversation around racial equality when people want to cherry-pick what's convenient for them and what's mm. easy for them to do and what's the hard thing for them to do. So in terms of changes being made, sure. I'm sure some changes are being made. I've seen, like, amazing, like, influencers... Um, you know, uh, and of course I include yourself in this, that you do some incredible, like, allyship and, like, really good work around this. But it's a machinery, it's an industry, and it's often asking people to do the very thing that makes them most comfortable and it hits very close to home. And very often people will not want to do that and it's just going to take some time for them to get to that place where it's the right thing for them to do and they kind of need to learn and understand it a bit more. Is there a resource or someone you... Um, even yourself can direct listeners to to kind of if particularly if they're interested in yoga and wanting to be more aware of this or learn more about this topic yeah so my favorite person to follow and I also started to do her classes online um, because I was like actually I do want to learn from a South Asian teacher um, she's on uh, Instagram at the Aisha Nash so it's A-I-S-H-A -A, Nash and she does like online, cl online classes, in-person classes, and she also posts like a ton of resources on her Instagram to help educate people around stuff. Fabulous. So, Porna, I like to ask everyone at the end of the episode to share their train happy moment. So what has been a moment recently that you have had the, because the train happy moment is all about that intuition, that um, connection with your body um, and something where you felt proud or felt good or just had a, a moment of awareness. What has been that for you recently? Um, I don't know if it's, this is the right one. You can say whatever you want. Okay. There's no right or wrong. So uh, a few days ago, I was lucky enough to be able to go to Italy and I was in the sea. And this is the first time I've been in the sea for a very long time. And, um, and I just kind of like, I was swimming around a little bit, but I, I just stood in it and I just kind of like felt the water all around me. And I just kind of had a little swim around where I was and the water wasn't particularly warm, which was actually a good thing though, because it made me very heightened and very aware of where I was. And, and it was just this incredible connection to just movement but also just feeling connected to something that's just so big. And in the middle of COVID feeling like it just hems everything in, I just think without wanting to sound like an absolute hippie, it was just feeling really, really connected to the earth. Oh my God, I can't believe I actually said those words in that sequence. Well, yeah. I totally <laughs> get it because I, when we're recording this, I've just got back from a week in Cornwall and um, I became the person who woke up at sunrise and jumped in the sea. <laughs> and I never thought that would be me. I really didn't put myself down as that person. But I get it. Like, it really is yep. true. Like, you feel connected. And then when you look at the ocean, you're like... They always say when you look at the mountains or the ocean, you get a sense that you're so small and something else is so big. And it just gives you so much perspective. And you kind of realise um, your place in the world and how how big everything is and I certainly felt that and yeah the idea of swimming in the ocean felt so liberating compared to kind of the year we've had of being so indoors for so long so I really love that I think um I relate to that so I really appreciate you for sharing that Porna it has been um super wonderful to have you as a guest today i've wanted to kind of have a conversation with you for so long and i'm really glad we could make today happen where can everyone find you find your work find your books um where can we um so i'm that? i'm on instagram and twitter at porna bell um see my strong is at see my strong um my website is my name.com but 
uh, it's kind of semi-finished. So uh, right. just don't click on certain tabs and you'll all be fine. And my book is coming out next March. Yes, so it's going to be called... Stronger, Stronger. and it's published by Bluebird. Amazing. I will link things below. I will link things um, when people are listening to this and we'll find everything. Um, thank you to everyone listening. I know we kind of, we ran out of time for questions because we just had so much to talk about. But thank you so much for tuning in to the first Train Happy Live podcast. And thank you so much, Fora, for making this happen as part of the Restore 20 week. Um, yeah, we did it. Thanks thank you so me. much. <laughs> And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 